0: All right. For the last few weeks now, we have been in a series entitled Being challenge. And some of you are reading along with us the book written by the author Zach Zender, a fellow Lutheran pastor and friend of ours who gave us our first intro message, a video-based message. You may remember that. And in the last two weeks, we've been starting into what he calls stone habits of Jesus. And the goal of all of this is to learn from Jesus, his words and ways imitate him so we can put them into practice and become more like him, just like we talked about in our mission and vision. And so uh, two weeks ago, I introduced our first keystone habit, commit to community. And we explored the value of having godly women and men and girls and boys in our lives who can hold us accountable to following Jesus, who can encourage us, and, and like I said two weeks ago, even propel us towards him. All right. Last weekend, Pastor Randy introduced us to habit number two, and just looking around the room and knowing some of you who are at home, I know uh, for some of you, you've discovered how life-changing it is to spend time reading God's Word. Uh, you've learned that you can actually never finish reading through the Bible, because as soon as you're done, you can find a way to start over again. You may take different strategies at different times. You may do it on your own or with groups. You may have a teacher who's leading the way, or you just may be listening to the Holy Spirit speak to you through the Word. And what you've discovered is that every single time you interact with God's Word, He says something, and He does something to you. Uh, And so, uh, as Jesus said, uh, he who is a wise man and builds a house on a rock is someone who hears my words and puts them into practice. Uh, that's one of the reasons why in all of our worship services we have hear and practice questions. We'll do that during upper room time in a few moments. Well, actually, don't fool anyone. It's going to be a few minutes, right? So just hang tight. <laughs> so uh, studying Scripture is essential to a life of faith. Today we're going to look at our third in the series. We've been building towards this in our service, a prioritize prayer. Now, prayer, you guys probably know this already, is a a way that we communicate with God. And if we think about it, there's all sorts of ways that we communicate with each other because it's a natural and essential part of what it means to be in a relationship. So, for example, uh, probably a lot of you, maybe not the kids in the room, maybe some, uh, have a device like this, and and you can text your family and friends. Uh, It's super convenient Uh, Like, for example, uh, if you're having a problem with the air conditioning in church, I can just text Jason and say, hey, can you do something to help? And he'll be here later, and we're making some progress, but still a little steamy in here. Um, But it's summer-ish, so uh, we should expect that. Or think about when you're going to do an airport pickup run. Some of you remember the good old days where you would just go and hope that they showed up, and you could pick them up, right? Yeah. And you'd maybe park your car and go wait by the gate or by baggage claim, and you're like, I hope that they made the flight, you know? But now, uh, at least in my family, here's what happens, is, is we text on the way to the airport, and then we're at the gate, and then we're about to take off, and then when we land, and there's like a whole string of back-and-forth text messages, but what's nice about it is we don't waste any time uh, sitting at the airport, and we can kind of plan out our day, and it works pretty well. But sometimes uh, getting a bunch of text messages can be an interruption, right? If you're in the middle of a meeting or important conversation, dinner with your spouse or a friend, and you start getting texts, it can take your mind off the relationship you're in. So it's a good form of communication, but it also has some uh, weaknesses. Or how about email, okay? Maybe around a little bit longer than text messages. I don't honestly know when the first email got started. It was when I was in high school. I remember that much. But um, but you probably have an email address maybe multiple emails and maybe you've experienced the stress and anxiety that comes from having a bunch of emails you still need to read and respond to and and maybe what you've done is you found a way to kind of push through your emails and try to get through to the end of them only kind of like when you're doing the laundry right you think you're done and then a whole bunch more gets piled on top and so a super efficient and effective way of sending and receiving messages Uh, having communication, it can actually lead to some more uh, challenges. Some of you may think that uh, with the introduction of these technologies, um, it's made life actually harder. And there are some arguments that support that. Um, But I would suggest that communication, effective communication, and, and healthy rhythms in life have always been a challenge for people right, even before we had tools like cell phones and computers, even before uh, we had books and paper that we could cheaply write on and send, there's been challenges to healthy and effective communication. So what we want to do today is take that human experience and think about what we see in the life of Jesus that can teach us to become more like him when it comes to communicating with God, and not by text messages or emails, as far as we know, he doesn't read either, right? Right? Uh, but but through this vehicle, this tool that we call prayer. Uh, We mentioned this a moment ago during our big idea. At least 50 times in Scripture, we see Jesus modeling or teaching his disciples something about prayer. We see him praying all throughout the day. We see him getting up early, staying up late. We see him praying before meals, before major decisions, before and after healings. Jesus is constantly praying praying. And apparently his prayer life was so remarkable that his disciples at one occasion at least said to him, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. And that's when he gave them and us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now keep in mind, those who were asking him were adult grown men. Uh, His disciples Uh, who had probably had godly women and men at home who had taught them how to pray. Probably even a rabbi had taught them how to pray. It wasn't like they had no idea how to pray, but there was something different about the posture of prayer in Jesus that made them want to lean in and learn more. And so what we're inviting you to do is the same thing, to lean in and learn more about prayer. Because here's the thing, uh, all of us have room to grow. Uh, Here's a quote for someone you may know. I don't know if you thought about you know talking to him with our question earlier. Who would you talk to? But Martin Luther said this about prayer. Sometimes I feel I am becoming cold and apathetic about prayer, and this is usually because of all the things that are distracting me and filling my mind. Now this was written about 500 years ago, before text, email, uh, uh, 24/7 news, or any of the things that we might find distracting these days, right? But nonetheless. Uh, he found that there was a distraction at times to prayer. Right, here's what else he said. We have to be absolutely certain that we do not allow ourselves to be distracted from genuine prayer. The devil is not lazy. He will never stop attacking us. See, here's the thing Luther learned, and maybe you have too. Uh, God invites you to pray. Jesus models for us a, a posture of prayer and making it a priority, but the devil also knows the power of prayer and wants to try to distract and discourage us so that we wouldn't ever uh, take advantage of it or at least not as often as we could all right so if luther had something to learn we can feel okay saying we've got something to learn let's take a look at what jesus says and does so that we can try to put into practice his words and ways the first thing we look at when we see jesus in prayer is that he prayed early and often so I mentioned this before, but here's one example. Mark 135 says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Just a quick show of hands, how many of you find that early morning is the best time for prayer? Right? Some of you have already figured that out. Okay. So Jesus would often get up early to pray. Uh, here's another example. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. What he discovered is that sometimes he needed to be alone with God, often in nature, to pray and and to pray uh, consistently. How many of you have found that being alone or being out in nature is a helpful way to pray, right? So some of you have figured this out. Okay, so we see Jesus early and often taking an opportunity to talk with God. Uh, There's a book written by Greg McCown called Essentialism uh, that talks about the concept uh, of how to focus your time and energy and, and explores the word in particular, priority. We're talking about how to prioritize prayer. And what's interesting is as he studied that word, he found out that it it first came into use in the English language in the 1400s, so like 600 some years ago. And, And in its first 500 years of being used, it was always used in the singular form, priority. And the basic meaning of it isn't hard to grasp. It's the thing that comes first in your life or Prior to whatever you're doing next. It has priority. And it wasn't until the 1900s that it started to be used in the plural form. That is, multiple priorities. And Greg uh, notes this about that concept. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word priority to priorities, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would be able to have multiple first things. And so maybe you have a list of priorities for 2022 or for summer projects. Maybe at work you've got a set of strategic priorities, plural. And maybe you've discovered that when you have multiple things that are supposed to be a first priority or first prominence, you tend not to get any of them done quite as well. So Jesus says, Prayer matters. Having communication with God is essential to knowing His will and being close to Him, and He made it a priority early and often. Jesus prayed also, here's our second point, because He needed help. Now, at first, that may seem like a strange thing to say, because He's Jesus, right? Truly God, begotten of the Father from eternity, Um, access to angels and archangels and all the knowledge and wisdom and power of what it means to be truly God. And yet, what we see is that he is also fully human. And so he had set aside uh, full use of all of his full power during his earthly life. And so there were times, and some very unique times, where he had acute needs. Think, for example, of when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It's the week of his arrest, trial, crucifixion the night before he was arrested. And he and his disciples had just finished their time in the upper room, celebrated Passover, and they went, as was his custom, to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And while he was there, he took three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. Two weeks ago, we talked about how he had his three and his 12 and his 72 and his 500, right? So he had different levels of relationship with some people. So he took his closest three, and he said to them this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me." So he takes Peter, Andrew and or Peter and James and John. He goes off a little ways in the garden, leaves the rest behind, and, and they're going to pray. And here's what he said. This was his prayer to the Father while he was in the garden. He said, "My father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Right, Jesus, suffering under the full weight of the sins of the world, anticipating the suffering and death he was to endure, abandonment by his heavenly Father when he was experiencing the full weight of the wrath of sin while on the cross, he cries out not just once or even twice, but at least three times, maybe more, in the garden, Father, if there's anything you can do, I sure could use some help. Jesus prayed to his heavenly father early and often because he knew he needed help and here's how God answered the prayer uh, jumping over to Luke's version of the story it says this an angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him now if the story stopped right there we'd all feel better because <laughs> we like great we just pray And as long as we get the words right, maybe with a little luck, you know, and extra help from some friends, we might get exactly what we want, right? And so Jesus prayed. God sent an angel, strengthened him. But then here's what it says next. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Maybe you've discovered this. Um, oftentimes, when we assume this posture of prayer and present what's on our heart to God and, and wait to hear from him, he does not answer in quite the way we would hope or expect. Isn't that true? Um, Father, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. But not m- my will, but yeah. thy will be done. See, here's what Jesus knew. Um, He could cry out and be authentic, 100% honest with his heavenly Father, and his Father would supply all that he needed, giving him the strength to endure, and yet the will of God was still that he would suffer, die, and then rise from the dead. And So knowing the full weight of that, he experienced the heaviness of it such that he prayed himself to the point of almost bleeding through his sweat and his tears, right? So what does Jesus model for us? As someone who is fully human, he needed help. And when we assume a posture of prayer like Jesus, we learn the same thing. Here's what Zach Zender says in his book. I thought this quote was helpful. Prayer requires helplessness. If there isn't helplessness, then it's not really a prayer, so think of prayers like this. Um, hey God, I've decided I want to buy a new house or a new car or whatever. Please bless it, <laughs> right? Um, not a bad prayer, by the way. But um, you're not actually asking for God's help um, because in that case, you're just doing what you've already decided. And you can fill in that blank with any number of other things. God, just bless what I'm already deciding to do or, or something along the lines. And And what we discover when we pray those kind of prayers is we're not stretched very far and we're not forced to rely only on the help of God in that moment. This is a hard, painful thing that I'm discovering is that God's power is made perfect when I am at my weakest. And when you're weak, you need help. And when you're at your weakest, you're helpless on your own. So prayer, in the way of Jesus, requires helplessness from within so that we can access the help we truly need from above. So Jesus prayed early and often. He did so because he needed help, and he also did so because he needed direction, now, if you think about directions, odds are, except for maybe some of the places you know really well how to get there and back, if you needed to get directions somewhere, you might go to, some of you like the old school Atlas, and you keep that in your car, or like a paper map, or like me, you may have a phone that connects to your car, which is super cool, and so you can put in anywhere you want to go, whether you know how to get there or not, and just want the fastest way, or whether it's a new place, and, and you just follow the directions, right? Um, that's that's kind of how we get around, and it's it's... It's great until it takes you to the wrong place. Has anyone had that situation where your GPS failed you, right? And uh, you should have gone to a certain place, but you ended up somewhere else. Well, probably none of you had it as bad as uh, a story a few years back of a Belgian woman, 67 years old, who was going to do an airport run like I talked about before. She lived about an hour and a half south of uh, Brussels. Here's a quick map. Don't worry about seeing the detail, but she lived about an hour and a half south. If she googled it, this is what it would have said. This is how you get to the airport. And so that's what she did. She got into her car, she plugged in the address, and then she just uh, started going. But when she came out of her town, she should have Gone north, but instead she, following the directions, went south. And she ended up in Croatia, right? 900 miles away, crossing through multiple uh, national borders, crossing a mountain range. And um, having stopped on the side of the road multiple times to catch up on sleep and to get fuel and gas, how in the world did she end up in Croatia um, when she was going to the airport? When she was asked, she just said, well, I was following directions. So if you haven't ended up in the wrong country, you're still pretty good, right? But it raises this question. Why would we ever want to look to the world for directions in everyday life why would we look to the world for directions priorities what we should focus on in everyday life Um, what does the world have to offer that is better than god's best for us just look at some of the results. Here's a uh, recent uh, survey result from Evite. Some of you may use Evite to kind of send and receive invitations from friends to events. Uh, somehow or another, they did a study. I don't know how Evite does this. But they found out that in the last five years, the average American has made zero new friends. Right? Our relationships apparently are, for the most part, stuck. Uh, another survey result uh, found that 70% of people are unhappy at work. That's pretty depressing. And another survey said 78% of us are living paycheck to paycheck. So we're working somewhere we don't really want to work. Uh, We're not happy with our job, uh, but we don't have the means to be able to go find a new job because we're kind of stuck. If this is the best that the world can offer, the question is why follow the whims of social media or whatever is published online or in print Or whatever the prevailing thought of our world might have to offer. Why if there was a better way? So what do we see Jesus do? Before he makes any major decision, he takes time to pray. So Luke chapter 6 says, One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And then afterwards, he chooses his twelve, whom he would name his disciples and then as his apostles. So right before one of the most important earthly decisions he made, Jesus pulled an all-nighter. Right? A couple nights ago, Hike and some friends had a bunch of middle schoolers doing an all-nighter here, and they're probably all still recovering right, from a night without much sleep. And my guess is, Steve, that they probably weren't all praying in the church the whole night, which is okay, because it's a lock-in. Right, That's what you do, is you go around and have some fun. But, but what did Jesus do? He spent all night in prayer. Um, his brother... Half-brother James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So Jesus, his half-brother James, all pointing us in the same direction. If you have a big decision you need to make, if you have something important going on in life, even just smaller everyday things, why not take advantage of accessing the collective wisdom of the God of the universe? and invite him to help shape and decide uh, what you are going to do next. Last stop before we're done today. Why did Jesus pray? Because he knew that prayer has the power to change things, change us, even change the world. Prayer invites the power of God to be present in our circumstances and in our lives. And if we truly believe that, if we truly believe that we had access to all the power of the universe through a simple conversation with God, then our lives and our worlds, our communities should be different, right? So here's a way to kind of put this to the test. Looking back at the last week of your life, if God answered every prayer request you made, what would be different in the world today? So for me, uh, all of my food would bless my body. That's a good thing right? So I pray before I eat. Uh, this weekend, I've been uh, trying to jack the root cuff on my garage three inches. So I had a couple barrel jacks and some boards, and I, my prayer was, God, just don't let the garage fall down. And it didn't. I feel good about that. I a little more headroom now for the van when we're opening it in the garage. Um, prayed for some friends and some family, some of you who are sick and suffering. All these are good things. I Prayed for the war in Ukraine to end. Um, if all of us collectively were praying for the world to be radically transformed um, and God were to answer that according to his will, wouldn't we like to see the world a whole lot better? So if you have access to all the power of God, why not invite him into everything? Here's what Jesus says, John 14, it's his promise. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Notice what he doesn't say. You may ask me for anything you want. He doesn't say that, right? As in, um, uh, if you want a new uh, house or a new car or a new bank account or whatever, uh, he doesn't just promise you like a vending machine from heaven. That's a whole other prayer series we might do sometime, right? He says, uh, you may ask for anything in my name or according to my will, and I will do it. Why? Because God's desire is to delight in us and give us all that we need and any more. Again, once once again from James 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So, what would stop us from making use of this direct access to the God of the universe and all of his power? One thing might be that little word in white, righteous. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's great, Micah. Uh, Pastor, I'd love to be able to have that kind of prayer, but I'm not all that righteous. In fact, I'm kind of a mess. So maybe God's not answering me because I'm not good enough. Here's what I want you to consider. There is no one who is righteous, not even one, Scripture says, on your own. We are all sinful and unclean, broken and even beaten down to death, even dead in our trespasses and sins, until God makes us alive again in Christ Jesus. Right? The righteousness that we're talking about here isn't something you earn or deserve, it's something gifted to you by the same God who invites you to talk to him. So don't let that hold you back. But instead, uh, as Corey Ten Boom says this, don't pray when you feel like it. Uh, have an opportunity with the Lord, an appointment rather, and keep it. For a man is powerful on his knees. Same is true for girls and boys and women and men. Those who take Jesus at his word and accept God's invitation have access to the powerful God of the universe for everyday life. Let's make that our priority as we seek to become more like him. Amen.